Well, Renee, it's nice to be able to start the show with some good news for a change. Yeah, what's that? Well, I've actually got three pieces of good news. Number one, the Senate passed the new spending bill, the two-pronged spending bill, to avoid a shutdown without a fistfight this time. They can play nice. They've evolved. (laughs) Good for them. Their hearts grew three sizes that day, like the Grinch. <laughs> uh, I, Mike Johnson even got an attaboy from Chuck Schumer. Are we are, are we entering a new phase of shiny, happy people on Capitol Hill? Do you think they went out for beers after? I hope so. That's what you hear. You hear that these Democrats and that these Republicans, they fight tooth and nail on the floor. Uh, and then, you know, afterwards, they... they They're bros? Right. <laughs> Maybe not so much anymore, but, like... You know, you heard that Joe Biden and John McCain used to be really good friends. Yeah, you did hear that. Yeah. You'd hear stories. I probably think, I have a feeling that that's less and less frequent nowadays. But who knows? Maybe Mike Johnson and Chuck Schumer can, can be the change we want to see in the world. I hope so. Uh, it looks like GM is going to ratify the new UAW contract by the skin of their teeth. Ford looks like it will ratify comfortably. Same with Stellantis, but with Stellantis, it's it's too early to uh, tell. And Rich Boyer, one of the higher ups in the UAW, he took to Facebook the other day and said, "Look, we understand we didn't get everything that we wanted. We understand that it's completely up to the membership that we serve whether or not to pass this contract or not. But understand that if this gets voted down, we go back." to the negotiating table and we don't start where we left off we may lose some of those gains we might actually end up going backwards so i I, i'm very glad to see that uh it was close but it looks like it's going to pass so they literally would have started from scratch all that time would have been literally wasted time i think so i mean maybe they maybe they would have started with some gains but but that's a very real possibility that they might have started from scratch so could you just imagine after all this no especially around the holidays how exhausting i mean having to pick it now that it's uh now that it's getting cold outside so uh, crisis averted. Yeah, no kidding. And China and the U.S., they've established a direct military communication line with each other after President Biden and pre- Chinese President Xi Jinping, they met at that summit in San Francisco. And uh, look, I, I don't know what else came out of that meeting, but this seems like it's at least another safeguard against potentially World War Three. Yeah, and it sounds like um, it was very uh, diplomatic, and they were on eggshells with each other. Yeah. Uh, it, it's so odd because, right, you saw the pictures of them shaking hands and being cordial to each other. Very photo op-esque. And then you have to remember that these are two of the biggest nuclear powers in the world and they low-key hate each other right exactly and and what did he say planet earth is big enough for both superpowers mr she said right so we're gonna remember we're gonna remember that when we go to war with them over taiwan exactly like hey wait a second it's big enough for both of us but hey it's the exactly one week before thanksgiving it's nice to come on on the air with some optimistic news instead of just bummer after bummer after bummer. The world seems to be falling into place, at least for today, a little bit. With that being said, Renee, let's move on to the bummer portion of our program. Uh, this court case 
out in Oxford with the crumbly parents is just, it, it's taken another twist. Yeah, and as if it hasn't produced enough drama lately, prosecution and defense attorneys are now feuding with both sides accusing the other of spewing half-truths and trying to taint the jury pool. Uh, the shooter's lawyer jumped into the fray Wednesday and accused Jennifer's lawyer, which is the shooter's mother, of spreading inaccurate, misleading, and prejudicial information about the shooter just three weeks before his sentencing. Defense attorney Paulette Lofton maintains that the shooter has repeatedly and consistently said that he asked for help and his parents did not get it for him and that suggesting otherwise violates his rights. The shooter did in fact ask his mom to see a therapist. Chief Assistant Prosecutor Dave Williams wrote in a filing late Tuesday uh, when he accused Jennifer Crumley's lawyer Shannon Smith of spreading false information in a public court filing. It is equally clear that she did so in the hopes of creating false headlines, which is ironically something that she frequently accuses the prosecution of doing. Hogwash, countered Smith. Hogwash. Yes, those are some fighting words. Uh, Who in a Wednesday morning filing denied making any false statements and accused the prosecution of trying to control the narrative about what Ethan Crumbly told the psychiatrist about asking his parents for help. Now, according to Smith's filing, the shooter told the same psychiatrist two different things that he asked for treatment and that he didn't ask for treatment though smith said she didn't discover the latter part until she went through a box of crumbly's mental health records provided to her last week and so goes the latest chapter in this legal legal slugfest that you know has produced nonstop court filings right. in the past few weeks and the headline said the prosecution went off on yeah. the defense they um accused them of spreading false information uh, by coming out and saying that the shooter admitted to lying about asking for help, also saying that they're re-traumatizing the victims. I mean, here's the thing. This kid we obviously was capable of, of, of doing the most heinous thing you can do to another person. Who's to say he wasn't lying about lying about asking for, for therapy? Right. Right, and and I think that's the direction they're taking right now. Right, and and I I you know I don't know if uh, how you prove that other than just taking one side's word over the other. This is going to be I think this is going to be a very contentious trial. Mm-hmm. Just just I mean going by the Miller hearing and how contentious and emotional and a graphic that was. Plus, it seems like the prosecution and the defense for for one parent. Jennifer Crumbly, they're already at each at each other's um, throats. You add a third counsel for the father. Yeah, that we haven't even started in on that side yet. Yeah. So I, I mean, like I said, I hope after all is said and done, this brings some closure and some healing to the families because I feel like the trial itself is going to be very, very painful. And well, like the prosecution said re-traumatizing and then that's the thing this is very traumatic obviously of a situation to begin with and this just adds to it for these poor families um according to a reuters report iran says they were taken by surprise by the october 7th hamas attack on israel three senior officials tell reuters that iran's supreme leader um said to the head of hamas you gave us no warning of your october 7th attack and we will not enter the war on your behalf during a tense November meeting in Tehran. They they said that they would lead Hamas political and moral support, but wouldn't intervene directly. 
Hezbollah, Hamas's ally in Lebanon to the north of Israel, also claimed to have been taken by surprise. This seems like semantics to me because, you know, it seems like Iran's getting pretty involved with all the bombing of, of these Israeli and American targets in the region. Just the other day, U.S. shot down a drone uh, that was sent up by an Iran-backed militia headed towards an, a United States aircraft carrier. It seems like semantics. Maybe they, they, they mean that they won't actually put boots on the ground inside the combat zone. So what do you think their angle is by saying making the statement? Well, I think number I, I do think they were caught by surprise. And I think that they really had no intention of of carrying out anything that Hamas carried out. And they're probably mad that they're now being dragged into this. And they're probably mad at Hamas because they do have to back them up politically, militarily, um, you know, on the fringes, sending drones to attack targets. But I don't think they wanted to be dragged into a hand-to-hand combat situation, much mm-hmm. like the United States. The United States doesn't want to get dragged into a hand-to-hand combat situation. But uh, it's it seems like they might not be involved directly, but they, they seem pretty involved. Yeah. So, All right. First thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale, we'll be right back. Renee, have you heard of this drama going up in Traverse City regarding this uh, this hairdresser in a tweet that she made or a Facebook post she made back in July? And uh, the city, her and the state are all going back and forth, taking legal action against each other. Yeah, it's a big mess up there. Yeah, the state of Michigan's Department of Civil Rights is charging Christina Geiger. She's the owner of Salon 8 Hair Labs. Uh, with discriminatory advertisement. Back in July, Geiger made a post on Facebook uh, saying transgendered customers, transgender customers are not welcome and should instead seek services at a local pet groomer. The city filed a civil rights complaint against Geiger, who tried to countersue the city, saying that her First Amendment rights were being violated. Mm. The state said that Geiger's post violated the state's civil rights laws the Elliott Larson Act, and that it was not protected under free speech or religious protection. Sorry, Renee, it sounded like you were trying to jump in as I was. Uh, oh no, was that was my that. sound of disgust. Continue. Yeah. Well, number one, if being a dehumanizing jerk was illegal, this lady would have the book thrown at her. I I don't know if there was an incident that prompted her to go on Facebook and declare her intolerance to the world, even if there was. Uh, she still looks like um, she still looks very, very bad in all of this. You know what this reminds me of? Do you remember a few years back that bakery that didn't want to make a wedding cake for yes. that gay couple? Yes. It, it has those tones to it. Times 10. It really does. And I wonder if she did turn anyone away based on their gender identity. She said she hadn't. Yeah. And as of right now, there's no evidence that she did. But I'm sure if she did, someone will come forward. And I'm wondering that if is proclaiming that a group of people are not allowed on your business based on their gender identity discrimination enough. I mean, you're you're admitting that you will discriminate if presented the opportunity. And even if you haven't actually discriminated, putting it out there saying that your place of business will not serve this group of people that that might actually hit the threshold of discrimination oh she sounds lovely it sounds like a great business model 
Well, and that's the thing. Now your name is out there, right? The name of your salon is out there. Mm -hmm. It's in the news. And now people can decide whether they want to spend their money with you or not. And you know what? Let's be honest. There's some people that will support her and will spend their dollars specifically with her because of her stance. Yeah. But I can see. I kind of think that um, that at least when it comes to, uh, you know, at least when it comes to her, I th- I think a lot of people will stay away. Be- I would think so. You know, because I I just don't understand. You're so blinded by intolerance for a group of people that you will cut off an entire segment of, of your possible customer base. Well, and it's not just those people specifically, but it's those people's loved ones. Right. Uh, and those people that support their decision to right. live that way. Right. It, it, this... You're not you're not only alienating the transgender community, you're alienating everyone who supports the LGBTQ community. Right. And that's a lot more people than just the transgender community. Right. So I can see a lot of people saying, Ugh, Yeah. The, you know, these these people I guess I, I well, I, I would say I guess they have the right to say what they want to say, but obviously they don't because um because and she's, she's entitled charged. to not support that. She's entitled to that. But as a business owner, I don't know that that was a smart business yeah. move. And actually, it turns out she might not be entitled to do that. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what inspires you. To I'm get saying on... personally she's entitled Oh, right. To that. Yeah, she's entitled to her personal opinion. Mm. Right. But but maybe not her business opinion. No. But, yeah, I, I just don't understand waking up in the morning and saying, hey, I'm going to make an inflammatory post going after this group of people. She chose hate. She did. She she really did. That's a good way to point uh, put it. All right, you're gonna, people are going to start seeing a lot more cameras along the freeways around here, Renee. Yeah, freeway, freeways in Detroit will soon be monitored by a network of 400 cameras with the goal of helping Detroit police investigate violent crimes and highway shootings. The city council voted to approve $30 million in grant money from a state to install and maintain a freeway video feed system, which will operate 68 miles of highways in Detroit. The highways that will be monitored include 94, 96, 675, M10, and the Davison. In proposing the network of cameras, DPD argued that they were necessary for deputies to better investigate crime on the freeways, where over 50 shootings have taken place on average over the past three years. And the rate of freeway shootings is up three times to what it was before the pandemic. And investigating them poses unique challenges, as you can imagine, because between 60 to 70 percent of the cases don't result in the known suspect because they happen at high rates of speed, which makes identifying witnesses and suspects difficult. Recovering evidence and getting accurate driver descriptions, also an issue. So the cameras are going to be placed at 200 different locations with two cameras installed in each spot. There's going to be a network of license plate readers that capture plate and vehicle information, such as automated alerts for wanted vehicles as well. And the plan is for those cameras to focus on strategic locations around the city's freeways like the interchanges, city limits, exit and entrance ramps, and they're all expected to be up and running by late 2025. I think this is a great thing. Yeah, I mean, my first instinct is 400 cameras seems a bit intrusive, but because of all the the, the reasons you just listed, I, I think at least right now they're absolutely necessary. Um, the green light cameras in the uh, city of Detroit at the businesses 
Um, that has helped curb crime to a degree. Um, that has helped catch suspects. And you mentioned it in your story, Renee. It seems like there's a freeway shooting. Um, well, I don't want to speak in hyperbole, but they're becoming more and more frequent. More and more frequent. It seems like at least every other week we're, we're telling a story of that on the air. That, that, sounds, that sounds about right. On top of that, um, you know, you, these Amber Alerts, uh, you know, missing children, kids yeah. who are kidnapped. Yeah. These can all, you know, these, these cameras can all be leveraged um, to, to, to help bring those to a... Um, a multitude of uses. Yeah. A, 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 non, a non-lethal end, so to, for, for lack of better words. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, there might be a time where 400 cameras on the freeways monitored by police might be a little bit much. But as of right now, I would say that uh, that, that is necessary. Definitely needed. Uh, so Jameson Williams became a hero last week, <laughs> throwing that huge block on that 70-something yard David Montgomery touchdown run. But uh, he's fallen from grace a little bit on social media. Yeah, now uh, he's got a food-related offense going on. Uh, he put ice cream on a cheeseburger. Specifically, he went to McDonald's and ordered a McDouble and an Oreo McFlurry. Then he removed the top bun from the burger and he put a glob of his McFlurry on it. And then he had the nerve to post this insanity to his Instagram story. And not surprisingly, people had some feelings about it. And and this comment pretty much sums it up. Up until this point, I've enjoyed his hard work getting back into the field. With that said, trade him now. Oh, <laughs> Look, I mean, this does sound like some stoner, some stoner stuff. <laughs> I don't think that's what's going on here. Absolutely. But here's, I mean, he is a highly tuned professional athlete, okay? Yeah. They have different dietary needs than us mortals. You know what? We're seven and two, and if him eating like this is part of what helps him get there, <laughs> right. I don't care if that boy eats globs of dirt on his burger. Feed the, feed the whole dang team right. hamburgers with ice cream on top Maybe of they them. can get some McDonald's endorsement thing going. I don't know. I don't care. Right. The Dan Campbell, Jameson Williams uh, hamburger <laughs> Ice cream kneecap deal. So what <laughs> you guys are right. saying, if I eat like this, I'm going to get abs, right? Abs, <laughs> you know you know what, Jason? Try it. That'll be our little experiment yes. here on the show. Uh, right. no. Yeah. See, no. I asked Mike to do it, but he's lactose intolerant, yes. and I just don't have the courage to and try this out. I don't like ice cream myself. Oh, my goodness. I do like cheeseburgers, though. All right. I actually, if I could have, if I could have dairy, I would try this <laughs> just, just, just for S's and G's. I mean, here's the thing. People dip their fries in their frosty. I mean, that's your sweet and your salty there. Yeah. I don't know. This is a whole other level though. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do love how people, how people get upset uh, about stuff like this. It's all a good fun. Yeah. I'm sure there was a couple of people saying, uh, call the police. But uh, yeah, who knows? He might have just been. He might have just finished with the workout. He had to get his 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 calcium back up, his right. protein back up, and his carbs and his fat. I mean, it's a well rounded meal, really. It really is. All your major food groups are there: uh, cheese, protein, uh, grease, sprinkles, sprinkles. They're all in is there. Is that a food group? They are in my world. They're like the base of the food pyramid. <laughs> I need six to ten servings of sprinkles a day. There we go. First thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale, WJR.
All right, and uh, this time of morning, we like to bring in Guy Lloyd and Jamie from the JR Morning Show, and it seems like the honeymoon for Mike Johnson has been extended by at least one day. Obviously, no surprise, the Senate passed his uh, two-pronged spending package (laughs) to avoid a shutdown, but I feel like he's got a, a new number one fan in Chuck Schumer. Oh, oh, yeah. No question about it. The, the other thing, but though, there were also, I think, two spending bills that got tanked. Oh, really? Yeah. So the, the, make no mistake, um, Chip Roy, the other guys in the Freedom Caucus, they're not having it. Yeah. And, and January 19th, mark your calendar. I was going to say, let's let's enjoy it now. If, we'll get through the holidays and then back <laughs> to chaos. Right. Yeah. If, there's, if there is a, a honeymoon, the bloom may fall off that rose on January 19th. I was going to say maybe, um, yeah, wait through the holidays. Maybe just enjoy the congressional Christmas party where everybody's. <laughs> Uh, everybody's getting along and then they (laughs) They don't deserve a party. They really don't. Well, (laughs) they don't deserve a lot of things that they get, but, uh, and then they can go at it again. Um, you might start fighting at the party. They shouldn't, they don't need a party. Yeah. Don't let, uh, don't let John Wayne Mullins or whatever his name is. (laughs) Mark Wayne. Thank you. Mark, Mark. Yeah. Don't invite the Teamsters. Um, yeah. Yeah, just, uh, you know what, and maybe just make it a half hour log. I, I think that's probably the best way Give to do it. Give them drink tickets so it's regulated. <laughs> yeah, there you right. go. There you go. Mark, Mark Wayne Mullins wins the Yule log throwing contest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to um, a conversation we're going to be having on JR Morning with Rabbi Mark Miller. He was one of the 900 Metro Detroiters um, who is stranded at... Dulles International Airport the other day when a bunch of bus drivers walked off the job when they found out that um, they were going to that big pro-Israel rally. And it looks like the Jewish Federation is at least looking into legal action, as they should. I mean, they, they, they paid for a service that wasn't rendered. And it seems like they were targeted based on their religion. I think they would have a slam dunk case. Um, I got to tell you, Nolan had a great letter on this yesterday, and it was kind of echoing my thoughts, which is, Where's the outrage? If this had been a group of black Detroiters going to a Million Man March, mm-hmm. if this had been a group of feminists going for their rally, there would be there, the bus yard would be in jeopardy. You would need, you know, where's the outrage right. here? And I think the, the Jewish Federation, I got to give them credit. They have been very, I don't, I wouldn't say muted, but they have been very reasonable in their response. Yeah. Well, maybe yeah. people are taking their cues from them because they haven't seem to be outraged outwardly. No, and it's maybe they're saying, you know what, we're going to follow this. But I, the other thing is, I think they want to accentuate the positive. They said, look, most of what happened on that day was good, good, yeah. good for Israel, mm-hmm. good for American Jews. And and maybe that's it. And if so, my tip of the cap, because I'm PO'd. Yeah, I think a lot of people are. Because I, I think there's a double yeah. standard at work Absolutely. here. Um, that, you know, if it had been based on race or gender and not religion, yeah. there would have been... Right. And, and here's the Hell thing. No, no matter how you feel about the conflict here in America, religion, uh, religions are protected classes and you can't deny service to somebody based on their religion, which right. when it comes Correct. down to it, that's that that's what happened here. The other thing they're telegraphing is this, that this bus company did its level best to try to provide the service. But this was a rogue action on the part of a group of drivers. And these are probably per diem employees, I would I'm bet. Sure. Mm-hmm. These are temp employees that are mm-hmm. there on an on-call basis. 
yeah. and um, that you know you don't have a lot of leverage over them. And so I mean, maybe there's also an acknowledgement within the, the Jewish Federation that that's at work. That it wasn't the company's fault. It wasn't it was the, the, the company leadership's fault. Yeah. Right. That this was this was a wildcat. Yeah. Um, are you? Is everyone in the room here familiar with Marvin's Marvelous Mechanical Museum? So it's funny you should mention that. Yeah, I've never been, but I know about it, and I know people have gone We to need a parties. show field trip. Yeah, <laughs> we do, before it's too late. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, here's the thing. When Marvin died, I was worried that it was going to shut down anyway. Right. And that was, what, 2018, something like that? But Yeah, and I think his son took it over. Gail and I were looking for things to do with the grandchildren. They arrive on Saturday, and I said, you know what? I think Henry and Charlotte are old enough for Marvelous Marvin's. I think yeah. they would think that would would be really cool. And then the next day, I shouldn't have, it, you know. Oh, guy jinxed it. Was, oh, it was me. Guy's <laughs> fault. One me. Um, <laughs> well, here's what's happening. Um, Marvin's Marvis Mechanical Museum, it might um, see the wrecking ball because the city of Farmington Hills, that's prime real estate over there. Orchard Lake and 14 Mile. They want to put a mire in there. And I love Meyer. Yeah. Meyer's my one of my favorite stores. However, I I, I love Marvin's Marv- Marvelous Mechanical Museum, even though I can't say the name of it. Uh, so tonight there's a, a planning commission meeting in Farmington Hills to discuss this. And, uh, and I, you're going to be there with your Save <laughs> Marvin's right. poster. Right. I'm going to be, I, I, I'm going to take all the uh, UAW workers that are, are used to striking and protesting. I'm going to bring Sean Fain and we're going to negotiate a deal. And all of you are going to have big rolls of quarters in your right. pockets. And, and, dress we're like ready Pac- to go. and dress like Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man. There I, you go. I do hope, you're right. <laughs> I do <laughs> hope that um, if they do decide to go forward with, with, with this new Meyer plan, at least we, we get a few months of it being open so that people who have great memories can go visit it. Uh, folks who have never been there, who've been meaning to go. It, it, because it's an experience. I mean, you got your video games like Chuck E. Cheese, and then you got all these really weird yeah. automated dioramas. Yeah. There's no place like it. Well, is, are we presuming, though, that it can't be moved somewhere? I mean, can't we find a can't new the home? Collection it, be yeah, moved? a new home. Yeah. I would hope yeah. so. I would hope so. I mean, there's obviously there's the mystique of the place has been forever. You know, Meyer has the one cent pony. Just expand that. <laughs> there you go. Right. Just find Marvin just, in there. Just, <laughs> just, <laughs> just Subway. Put, Marvin's marvelous. There you go. The uh, bank. Sandy. <laughs> Ski ball. And yeah. let's just park your kids there and do your shopping. Right. You yeah. don't have to worry about right. it. It'll, it'll wear them out, and they won't be bothering you for gum at the checkout line. <laughs> All right, JR Morning coming up. We've got a jam-packed show, if I do say so myself. Uh, it's first thing, Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale. We will be back tomorrow. Well, you heard it earlier yesterday. The Senate passed new Speaker Mike Johnson's two-part temporary funding bill after the House of Representatives Passed it Tuesday night on his first attempt. Professor David Dulio from Oakland University talks to Kevin and Tom on All Talk about why it passed so quickly and why so many Democrats supported it. House Speaker Mike Johnson, you know, he has a lot of Democrats to thanks for for getting his uh, temporary funding measure passed uh, in the House yesterday. Uh, newly elected House Speaker Mike Johnson really successfully pushed this, a two-parter, uh, this temporary spending measure. Uh, really all in an effort to avert a shutdown, not only at the end of the year thing, but uh, the end of this week, Kevin. So uh, time was of the essence, and he got this thing through. 
Yeah, uh, Congress is supposed to be the most divisive Congress has ever been. Uh, so what do they do? They go and get uh, some Democrats uh, to vote with Republicans and get this thing passed. And what I think they call that bipartisan. Well, so that's a word I haven't heard time. in a long, no. long time. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's going to last. Uh, but uh, they got through phase one of this deal. Let's bring in uh, Dave Dulio, a professor at Oakland University. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm well, guys. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So this thing wasn't dramatically different from Kevin McCarthy's idea, but it, it, it ended up with a different result. How did, how did that happen? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think the politics of it changed, right? I mean, I think at the time uh, that uh, McCarthy brokered that deal in September, um, you know, Democrats saw the writing on the wall for him that, uh, it, that if um, uh, he had worked in a bipartisan fashion and uh and and got this deal across they were going to see a possible exit for mccarthy that doesn't appear to be the case right now with speaker johnson he's got a little bit more rope uh that the that the conservatives in the house have given him so is this a a one and done Uh, does he need to come back next time and make sure that uh, those who voted no are, are happy that the cuts are steep or, or can he continue to pull this off where he gets a majority of the Republicans and enough Democrats to, to push things through? Well, I don't think the conservatives in the House are going to stand for anything other than a, a significant reduction in spending uh, for the uh, next fiscal year or at least the remainder of it. And, uh, and, and that's their hill that I think they're going to die on. And, and you know, th- th- there's another element here, too, for the speaker is that you know, well, a couple of them, actually, you know, the the rules are still the same where, um, you know, the, a motion to vacate that ousted Speaker McCarthy could come up and um, and potentially oust Speaker Johnson. But at, at the same time, you know, we've got divided party government. Uh, yes, Republicans have a majority in the House, a, a thin majority. Uh, Democrats have a thin majority in the Senate. And of course, there's a Democrat in the White House. So anything that passes and, and get signed into law is by definition going to have to be bipartisan. Yeah, I was I was worried about that. That like a Matt Gage would come back, or maybe a Chip Roy would say, "Listen, we don't like this guy either. Let's uh, let's put him up to vote to, to oust him, like we did Kevin McCarthy." That hasn't happened as of yet, and doesn't seem like it's going to. Uh, do you think that this, I guess, this new strategy from Representative John or the House Speaker Johnson, do you think it's going to set a Kind of a new precedent that we're not going to have these old uh, end of year omnibus spending bills uh, right before Christmas. Is that going to shift? You think? Well, I think everybody would like to see that, and and not from a partisan perspective, but just in terms of Congress getting its work done and and following the process that is set out in law, right? Where a budget resolution is adopted early in the calendar year, and then the appropriators get to work and uh, and write those appropriations bills that that fund the government um, by the end of the uh, fiscal year and, and, and not where we have, uh, to your point, Tom, all, a bunch of stuff packaged together in an omnibus bill or even a, you know, a couple things packaged in, in what they call a minibus, um, but 12 separate appropriations bills that get passed on time and that fund the government. I mean, that's, that's how it's supposed to work. And we have not seen that for years mm-hmm. where, um, you know, sort of where regular order uh, wins the day. You know, that seemed to be what Kevin McCarthy was aiming to do here. And this, like some of these uh, members of the Republican Party just didn't have the patience 
to to see this fully play out because Mike Johnson, he hasn't done a whole lot differently than what Kevin McCarthy was doing. He's kind of, in a sense, kicking the can uh, down the road. But this is kind of what it takes to make this kind of a larger transition and change within the way uh, work is done on Capitol Hill, right? I, yeah, I think that that's right. And, and, and you know, underneath all the – underneath the – the continuing resolution that that is uh, going to pass this week and, and fund the government for a short time. You know, the the House Republicans are working on uh, on, on those individual appropriations bills. Some have already passed, uh, but but then it's a question of whether or not uh, the Senate will pass them, and whether or not, as I said before, the White House would would sign it. So, you know, I, I think that the politics have also changed, as I mentioned before. I mean, but. In September, when it was about McCarthy, Matt Gates and, and his allies had um, had a card to play, and I, and, I, and they played it, and they won. Uh, but I wonder, moving forward, if if they don't think that they would come out on top uh, if they followed a similar strategy. Yeah, they were. You know, they could be reprimanded for for uh, pulling the plug on uh, this new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. Uh, but also, if, if, if Mike Johnson, uh, you know, starts to work with Democrats or, or starts to lean in a, in a favorable position for Democrats, there's really nothing to stop them from, from going down that route. They're, they're, the people who voted them into office, that's why they voted them in, right? They want them to do that. No, I, I think that's absolutely right. But, but again, I think, I, you know, the, the, the calculus might change. And, and it might change for Democrats, too, where... You know, if, if Speaker Johnson shows that and, – and he's a really conservative guy, right? He's, he's more conservative uh, based on the, on the studies of, of voting and, um, and, and other elements of, of work in the House. He's more conservative than, than Kevin McCarthy is. Uh, but if, if he shows that, that uh, he's willing to, to work in a bipartisan fashion and actually produce results, maybe the Democrats don't vote to, to uh, oust him like they did with McCarthy time and time again. Uh, and, and maybe that sets us up for success moving forward. I mean, I think the chances of that are small, um, and really because of, uh, of Johnson's conservatism. He wants what the Freedom Caucus wants, right? He wants reductions in spending. It's just a matter of, you know, a, a pragmatic view of how can they get there. Yeah, you know, he's got a balancing act here. He's got a lot of challenges. He's got opportunities, too, as he's kind of walking, this, this, this performing this balancing act between all these different political factions. And that was David Dulio, professor and head of the political science department over at Oakland University, talking about uh, Mike Johnson. And would you call it a winning streak? It seems like it's a winning streak. At the very least, it seems like some optimism for bipartisanship, which we haven't seen in a very, very long time. You're a Republican. You got Chuck Schumer giving you an attaboy and patting yourself on the back. Uh, that is definitely not something I had on my 2023 bingo card.